Hey everybody, this is Dan Lobby. And this is Mary Kay Cabot. We are in Berea on a Tuesday, the only day that the Browns had us out here today, Mary Kay. Before we get started, though, on this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, uh, I want to tell everybody about Sibling Revelry Brewery. They are based in Westlake, but you don't have to, to go to their brewery necessarily to get their beers. They've got them all over Ohio, uh, Heinen's, Giant Eagle, uh, those are the places you can find them. They've got different types of beers. Of course, they've got IPAs, uh, they've got a Belgian triple, they have a, a lager, it's called the Sublime Lager, all kinds of different types of beers, uh, and the, the location in Westlake is great. Uh, Mike and Burt Kennedy, they're the founders. Uh, Mike's a Kent State guy, Burt's a Bowling Green guy, so a couple of Mac fo- former Mac football players. Uh, and they love football and beer, right? Who doesn't, Mary Kay? Especially with those victory fridges. Now, that's not sibling revelry, <laughs> by the way. They don't do gimmicks like that. They're not one of these big breweries, but football and beer. You know what else they have, Dan? They have a gluten-free Ooh, beer. Now, isn't go. that great for all the people that are gluten intolerant? You can head out there or go to the grocery store and pick up a, a six-pack of gluten-free beer. Yeah, there you go. So thanks to Sibling Revelry uh, Brewery for sponsoring us here. Um, let's get to it. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Josh Gordon, because we didn't get a chance to talk about that in our post-game podcast a whole lot on uh, on Sunday. So let's get into that a little bit, because he hadn't been traded yet. Now he has been. He's going to be a member of the New England Patriots. The Browns didn't get a whole lot for him. I don't think there was an expectation out there that they would. Uh, they get a fifth-round pick. Um, the Patriots will get a seventh-round pick if Josh Gordon doesn't play 10 games. So, uh, you know, what does that tell you about the market for Josh Gordon? Do you think that was the best the Browns could do? It was. It was the best that they could get for Josh Gordon, and that's because of all the things that he's been through, all the problems, all the well-documented things. If the Cleveland Browns are parting ways with you, chances are uh, there's a really good reason for that because obviously they need all the help that they can get here. So if they're letting you walk out the door, you know, people just know. And they, they also probably felt like if they couldn't get enough from that maybe they would just release him. So uh, not too many people were willing to, to part with the draft pick. Uh, it's my understanding. I've been told that the Patriots were the highest bidder. They did not necessarily want to keep him in the AFC, uh, but they offered the highest draft pick. So they did take that. Um, other teams that were interested of the 8 to 10 that called included the 49ers and included the, the Cowboys and the Redskins. So uh, these are the, some of the teams that, that picked up the phone and called about Josh Gordon, but the Patriots were the only ones willing to give that high of a pick. Yeah, because it was hard for me to believe that they would just send him to the Patriots if that wasn't the best offer. Because obviously that gives him an opportunity if he stays on the field, which as we know is a huge if with Josh Gordon. He could win a Super Bowl. He could make big plays. He's going to have an all-time great quarterback throwing to him. He could ascend to that next level, again, if he's able to stay on the field. And I'm sure the Browns didn't necessarily uh, want to send him somewhere where that could happen. Right. And, you know, I wrote a column about this the other day that um, before the trade occurred, I came up with a proposal of what I would do with Josh Gordon. um, And that was basically saying, you know, don't just give him away. And, and don't just release him. Uh, hang on to him until somebody makes you an offer that you can't refuse. And my idea was suspend him two games for conduct detrimental to the team for the events of what happened on Friday and Saturday, uh, including being late, showing up, uh, let's just say for now, not himself, but we'll get into that a little bit more. And then, of course, you know, there was an incident on Friday night that everybody's saying is the reason that he was 
actually let go, but that isn't the reason that he was let go because uh, because he tweaked a hamstring at a promotional shoot. That didn't help matters that he came in and com- complaining about a hamstring injury. Uh, that didn't help matters at all, but that is certainly not the reason that they let him go. So I just felt like, you know, don't make it so easy on him. Don't send him somewhere like New England so that he could ride off into the sunset and go have success with someone else. I felt that after the Browns had invested so much time and effort into him that they should reap the benefits if he is well enough to stay on the field and do the things that they wanted him to do. But the truth of the matter with them is they were done. That was the last straw for them. It's over for them, and they just wanted to cut their losses and move on. Yeah, well, and it, you know, it was incredible when I kind of went back and looked just all the times that this has happened over, like all mm-hmm. the regimes, all the coaching staffs that have tried to wait out Josh Gordon, and right. like they're gone. Like Joe Banner is gone, Rob Chudzinski's, all these people that have tried to wait out Josh Gordon, Ray Farmer and Mike Pettin tried to do it. They're gone. You know, Kyle Shanahan is right. gone. He waited him out for a little while uh, as the offensive coordinator. You know, Sashi Brown is gone. Right. Um, you know, it's it's so many regimes over and over again have kind of been in this position where they've said, you know, look, we've we've waited on Josh Gordon long enough. Let's wait on him a little longer. And I, I mean, I guess this was it. They just ran out of patience. John Dorsey wasn't going to mess around with this. Right. And and I do get it. I do understand it. I guess my feeling on it was. Um, truthfully, I, I felt like maybe there was a chance that this is what Josh Gordon really wanted, that he wanted yeah. to get out of here. And there, therefore, you know, maybe he intentionally messed up the events of the weekend a little bit. And from that standpoint, that's where I was coming from. I, I was coming from, don't give them what they want. They want him to get out of here. They want him to go play for a contender, get put himself back on the map, prove himself. And I think uh, if he plays this weekend for the Patriots and shows no signs of a hamstring injury, then I think people can probably <laughs> yeah. suspect that, you know, there's a little foul play going on. Yeah, that's, um, you know, it, there was a sense kind of that maybe Josh didn't always want to be here, which, again, maybe that goes into it too. Like this organization and, and the Haslam's, you say whatever you want about the Haslam's. They have stood by Josh Gordon through all of this. Now, a lot of that has to do with his talent, but they have gone out of their way uh, to give him opportunities and to help him through this. He didn't show up at the start of training camp. Uh, you know, the move was not made then. You know, they've stood by him again and again and again. And if that was really, I mean, if they were getting that sort of vibe, and I don't know if they were, but if let's say they were, that probably plays into this a little bit too. Yeah, th- there are so many layers to this. There are so many factors involved. But I think the bottom line for people to remember is, uh, because the narrative is really out there in a very strong way, that they parted ways with him because he tweaked his hamstring at a promotional video shoot. And that's really just not the story. The story is that he showed up on Saturday and he was not himself and that there was a concern on the part of people in the organization that he had slipped up in his recovery. And that's the reason why he's gone. They felt that they had done enough for him from a recovery standpoint. He's been to inpatient rehab five times that we know of uh, since 2012. They did everything that they possibly could. They went beyond. They went above and beyond the call of duty to create the right environment for him, to do everything that they possibly could, to surround him with the right people, to give him the support system. And this was not about a tweet hamstring. It just wasn't about that. And I, I, I wish people could kind of understand that that, that wasn't it. Uh, the other thing, too, is, is the Patriots, you know, they're in such a different position than the Browns. You know, I think the thing that always will, it's, this is going to follow Hugh Jackson around. 
uh, that scene in Hard Knocks when he's talking to Todd Haley and he says, what was it, the bird has landed. Mm-hmm. He was so excited. You know, and then Todd Haley says, well, he, was he in shape? Well, you know, Todd Haley hasn't been here real long. Hugh Jackson is desperate to win football games, you know. So obviously he was excited to get talent like Josh Gordon back. But the approach you should have had, and the Browns just didn't have the luxury to have because of the dearth of talent uh, coming into this year. And obviously they've upgraded that talent this mm-hmm. season. Um, and the lack of wins and how desperate they are to win games. And the Patriots don't have to worry about that. Josh Gordon's not going to be the most important player on that team. It's always going to be number 12, Tom Brady. Not number 12, Josh Gordon. Um, So the Patriots can bring him in, and if it doesn't work, send him away. And and it will be no big loss for them. They're just going to keep right on rolling. Well, you know, that's what they tried with Corey Coleman. Yeah. They brought Corey Coleman in, gave him a look, and when Josh Gordon came on the scene, who's the first person they cut? Corey Coleman. Out the door. Who cleared waivers today, by the way. Yeah, exactly. So uh, so I think this is another situation where they're willing to take a look at a player. Now, it's, it's going to cost them a little bit. They'll still have to give up that fifth-round pick to the Browns if it doesn't work out. But here's the, the thing with Josh Gordon. He has, he's such a physical talent, and that's why you have Hugh Jackson saying things like, the bird has landed, and they were so excited about him. Because when you look at him physically and when you watch him out on the football field he is one of the most natural raw talent ability receivers I've ever seen in my entire life up close and personal I mean he is a physical specimen he's got natural hands and when he's on top of his game he's amazing but again he's only played 11 games here since 2013 when he had that that great year Uh, for most of the past four years it's been nothing but heartache and struggle and those sorts of things. And nobody uh, is looking at this really necessarily in punitive terms. This was really a realization on on the part of the Browns that they believe that he still has some work to do in his recovery. And really, that's what this is about. The other part of this, Dan, is I think the NFL should be getting more involved in this. If, If it's true that he is still struggling in that way, then they have to get involved. And and his team of handlers and doctors and all those sorts of people, they actually need to, to get with him and find out if he needs more treatment, more rehab, instead of, like, going out and playing for the Patriots this weekend. Yeah, and, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, and I know wide receiver wins is not a real stat, but since that 2013 season, I think the Browns have won one game with Josh Gordon on the field. Right. It was the first game he came back in 2014, and... That was, I mean, that was it. Now, obviously, he hasn't played in a lot of those games, but when Josh Gordon has been on the field, this team hasn't even won. This team hasn't won a game with him on the field. Well, now, that's if, not all on him, but still, it, it tells you that right. you don't necessarily have to hold him to this super high standard. You can find guys that can catch the football. Right, and now it, it'll be very interesting to see if his hamstring injuries are suddenly behind him, if his recovery injuries, recovery issues, are suddenly behind him, if he suddenly turns into an upstanding citizen for the New England Patriots, it's going to have to make you wonder about the events of things that have gone on over the past few months. I mean, was he trying to was he trying to get out of here when he left right before training camp? Was that his way of, you know, really trying to hasten his exit or is all of this stuff completely 100% genuine and he's one really truly genuinely struggling in his recovery and needed to take a step away that whole thing was mysterious to me too just as the events of this past weekend were all right uh so with Josh Gordon gone the Browns lose a big deep threat 
You know, that mm-hmm. for, for what I just said, you could find guys to catch the football. You can't find guys built like Josh Gordon. Um, and he can get down the field. He is a, a guy that defenses need to respect. They So now the attention turns to Antonio Callaway. Yep. Um, he's not Josh Gordon, but he is fast. Third fastest uh, speed in the NFL this year mm-hmm. uh, behind two Tyree Kill plays on that 47-yard touchdown catch in the fourth quarter. Um, so he can fly. He's also just now getting back into football mm-hmm. because he was out of football for a while. He's still pretty raw, but now there's a big spotlight on him. Well, you know, the thing that you also have to worry about with him are the pulled hamstrings with him, okay? Because yeah. obviously when you are a deep threat like that and you are bolting down the field uh, at those speeds, uh, you really have to be ready for that for that kind of action. And, and we know that he struggled – uh, with some soft tissue injuries when he first showed up. Why? Because he sat out of football all last year. Mm-hmm. He's just now getting back into football. But that also makes it even more remarkable to me that he can go out there and make a catch like that. <laughs> that was incredible. I've watched that play. Oh, I'm going to do a post on that play uh, a little later. It's incredible how fast he got to that football. It was an incredible play. It really was. And it was a great catch. And it was a great throw by Tyrod Taylor. It really was. I mean, he just really put the ball where it needed to be for Antonio to be able to catch it and and still stay in bounds yeah. in the back of the end zone. Uh, so just all the way around, it was a tremendous play. Uh, but he also is going to ha- – he has to worry about a number of things. Uh, he has to be concerned with hamstring and soft tissue injuries because we know he has struggled with that since he's been here this uh, throughout training camp preseason. He had a few issues like that. And the other thing is he's got to be just on his P's and Q's off the field. He comes in with some baggage. In fact, he has a hearing on Thursday morning for the events of what happened in Strongsville. He doesn't have to attend the hearing, I've been told, um, but he he will find out then what the outcome is of his minor misdemeanor uh, possession of marijuana charge is and then the um, – and then the driving without uh, driving with a suspended license. Now the the marijuana charge, which I believe is a minor misdemeanor. I mean that's really not a huge deal in the grand scheme of things. I you know usually it can even be just paid like a ticket. Yeah. So I don't know even why that requires a, a hearing at this point. Uh, I'm a little surprised about that. And maybe it won't get to that point. I mean, they maybe they'll work something out even before then. Uh, but he doesn't have to be there. That's game day. So he doesn't have to get up and be in court by 8 o'clock in the morning in Strongsville Mayor's Court. Um, but still, it's, it's a little bit of an issue hanging over his head. And the point here is that he has got to do everything it takes uh, to seize this opportunity. He's got a daughter to support. He's got a family uh, he's got everything in front of him that's that's good right now. And the Browns have given him this chance. They drafted him in the fourth round. And he has got to pull himself together and be the player that they need him to be. Yeah, and uh, you know what? The onus really falls on guys like Jarvis Landry, uh, Terod Taylor. Uh, it was funny. I was actually talking to Rashard Higgins today a little bit, and I was asking him about Jarvis you know, kind of the impact Jarvis has on that room. Um, and, and he said that, you know, Jarvis has kind of mentored him, and now he's mentoring some of the younger guys himself, even right. though he's only a, a third-year guy. Um, so so he's an important piece of this, too. These, these guys around him have to really teach Antonio Callaway. We know he's got some physical gifts. Now they have to teach him how to be an NFL football player. Yeah, that that's for sure. And, um, you know, Hugh Jackson has told us and has told, told Antonio Callaway that – you know, 
one more slip up and and basically that's it. Now I don't know if he would, you know, follow through and do something similar like they did with Josh Gordon. I don't think uh that that he's anywhere near that point. Uh, but they do know that you know they have to keep an eye on him. They have to support him. And we saw Todd Haley ask Jarvis Landry on Hard Knocks uh to take him under his wing and and he has tried to do that. And from everything that I can tell so far with Antonio Callaway, he seems to me to be sincere about doing the right things. Now, yeah. again, usually I can I can tell if someone is not genuine. I was always a little bit suspicious of Josh, and that is Josh Gordon. That is because I've heard the same story over and over and over again for six years. And so I, I kind of stopped believing or buying into what he was saying. But I'm not there with Antonio Callaway. I really think he wants to get it right and let's see if he can yeah well, the, this team certainly needs him to be on the field and be fast and, and be a downfield threat because they don't really have that any place else I mean Richard Higgins obviously has grown and developed but he's not that speedy downfield threat Jarvis you know we've seen his targets have been longer than they were in Miami but he's not a speedster he's not a downfield threat right. uh, like Callaway can be and it's going to be even more important to have a guy like that once Baker Mayfield gets into the lineup yeah. because he's got you know the bigger arm to get the ball downfield to a guy like that. So you're going to be able to take advantage of an Antonio Callaway even more so maybe than you would with a Tyrod Taylor, although we must repeat, that was an amazing throw and an amazing catch the other day. Remember when guys were saying this was the best receiving core in the league? Oh, yeah. But we always <laughs> said you know that was going to be predicated on everybody staying here and staying healthy. That was back when uh, they still had Corey Coleman, who some people thought maybe he would step up and make a jump this year and turn into the first-round receiver that he was. And that was when Josh Gordon was here. So now both the Baylor guys are gone, and and they're dwindling a little bit. They brought in Rod Streeter, but, you know, he's not obviously a Josh Gordon. But you just really need a reliable guy that can go out there and catch the football for you. Um, all right, let's talk about this Jets game real quickly. On Thursday night, uh, the Browns go under the national spotlight. They're 0-1-1, uh, two games that they had real opportunities to win uh, against the Saints and the Steelers. Um, you know, Jabril Peppers, I talked to him after the Saints game, and you know, he basically told me that this team believes they were as good as those other two teams. Mm-hmm. And it's, look, look yep. at the results. They tied the Steelers, and they were some kicks away from beating the Saints. So, you know, this team is certainly confident. Uh, the question about this Thursday night game is, are the Browns facing a must-win here against the Jets? Well, I'm very protective of the must-win phrase. Um, now, people haven't really had to use that in connection with the Browns for real in a very long time. Yeah. But I like to save those must-win game phrases for when um, for when a team is facing elimination from playoff contention or is in the playoffs and faces elimination from the playoffs. So either you're not going to make the playoffs if you lose this game or you're going to get knocked out. So that's what I like to say for must win. I think it's an overused phrase. I think it's a very important game on Thursday night. I think they need to win it and I think they will win it. I think that they need to keep their fans. They need to reward their fans. I think they need to feel what a victory feels like. Uh, I think they should be 2-0 and right now, if not for the kicking situation, like you said. And I think they need to end this 19-game winless streak and start to feel a taste of what winning is like. And so for those reasons, I think it's vitally important, but not a must-win game. Yeah, so the way I see it is I, I'm with you on the must-win thing, that 
you know, people use that all the time. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes people say it's a must-win game for a team. The team loses, and then two weeks later, they're in the playoffs. Right. Yeah, you know, people do right. overuse that phrase. Um, to me, this was a game that I think a lot of Browns fans circled. Um, they said this, you know, they don't have a chance against the Steelers. They don't have a chance against the Saints. But that Thursday night against the Jets, you know, if they come out of that 0-3, which obviously is off the table now, mm-hmm. but if they come out of that winless, you know, there's going to be a problem. Now, the Jets, I think are a little better than people gave them credit for, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, but to me, I think if you've got a rookie quarterback coming into your stadium on national TV, and if you think you are actually a better football team than you've been the last two years, it, it's not a must-win in the literal sense, but I think you've got to win this game. I think you've got to show this is your chance to announce to people, hey, this is not the same old Browns. Yeah, we lost to the Saints. We lost to the Steelers. But when the Jets came to town, a team that is – equal to or lesser than the Browns, the Browns are favorites in this game, you took care of business. And that's something they haven't done. You know, last year they went into a stretch of games where people said, well, they should be able to win like two out of three of these games. I think it was the Colts, the Jets, and I I can't remember who else. And they didn't. They lost all three. And then that paved the way for 0-16. And and I just think this is a big – this is a game that could turn their season – to some to do something because they got the Raiders after that. I see the the Ravens come to town, and I think the Ravens are a beatable football team. You could you could start you could go on a little run here. I'm not saying you're going to make the playoffs, but you know there's some teams you maybe could beat in this schedule coming up. Now, when we talk about must win game, like you said, a lot of people are talking about this game in those terms right now. But must win for what? What do you think? Must win why? I think must win. And I think you kind of talked about this, too. I think a must-win to just send a message to your fan base. Because you've been saying all offseason, right. we're going to get to winning. The talent is better. You turn over, what was it? What, what's the number? 59% of the roster? And now that's, I mean, if somebody did the math today, that would probably be even higher. Mm-hmm. Um, you said, we're going to get to winning this year. Things are going to be different this year. And I just think if you go out and lose to the Jets, yeah, it's hard to sit up there and say things are different. Now, you could right. turn around either way and go beat the Raiders in Oakland. But it's hard to say things are different if, if you go out and lose to a team, again, that I think you're probably, at worst, equal to. Do you think it's a must-win in terms of trying to stay in playoff contention? Well, I think, yeah, if we're talking playoff contention, for yeah. sure. I, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, because then you'd be, oh, what, oh, two and one. Right. That would be a tough hole to dig out of. Right. Um, so, but. yes, it's a vitally important game. But I think there's part of me that, that – thinks that Baker Mayfield is going to take over at some point this season. And, it, it, you know, I just don't think it's going to be too far down the road. Unless Tyrod really picks it up and starts winning some football games, I think they're going to look at this and say, well, heck, why don't we just go to Baker Mayfield? Because this isn't going the way that we thought it was going to go. He's not winning games. Um, you know, that was a rocky start that he had against the Steelers. He came back and made some nice plays in this game, had them in position to win at the end. But, you're, you know, you're still not really converting – um, your takeaways, eight takeaways equal 10 points right yeah. now. Uh, so there's part of me that still thinks that uh, Baker Mayfield is going to get in here before too long. Uh, I don't think it's going to be necessarily next week. Um, I think they'll pro- maybe they'll reevaluate it after the first four games. Everybody around here talks about uh, this season in terms of quarters. Mm-hmm. So I think they'll reevaluate it, reevaluate it after the first quarter of the season and then go from there. So I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know why I don't think that the, the sky is going to fall if they lose this game. I just don't know why I feel that way. I, I also think, you know, again, talking about that schedule, I mentioned there were, I think, some winnable games coming up. But 
you know, again, if you lose this game, maybe you can beat the Raiders, maybe you can beat the Ravens, but then you got to play the Chargers, the Bucks, who are off to a great start, the Steelers, the Chiefs, the Falcons. You start to get into a really yeah, tough stretch. That's true. And, you know, you, you brought up the word playoffs. I don't think this is a playoff team regardless, uh, whether they win this game or not on Thursday night. But I just think if you lose this game, that's when things can start to snowball. Because now right. you've got to go to Oakland and win a game. Right. Because then you're coming home to play a division opponent who I think right. is beatable, but it's still the Ravens. Right. And then your schedule gets real tough, and, and you could be in... You could be in some trouble. Well, no question about it. It's a vitally important game, and it's one in which Sam Darnold is coming to town. And, you know, that's another big thing to watch here because here is Sam Darnold starting games for the Jets. And, look, he's won one for the Jets, and Tyrod hasn't won one yet for the Cleveland Browns. They're obviously 0-1-1. So, um, so this is another big storyline heading into this game. Sam starting for the Browns. Baker Mayfield not yet starting for the Browns. I mean, for the Jets. Yeah, and, and the question is, and we asked this in a video that went up on Cleveland.com earlier, uh, when should we expect Baker to take over? And I, I'm with you. I don't think it necessarily happens if they lose this week, but I think it's in play because you've got 10 days off. Um, I, I think it becomes a real discussion if they lose Thursday night. Yeah, I think so too, especially. I think it will, it will all depend on how Tyrod plays. Now, if he wins the game, bets are off. He gets another shot to go out there. Yeah. Or if they win the game because the defense played well and the offense didn't play well, that's also another reason to look at it. So a victory doesn't necessarily buy him another start. It will help, uh, but he has to play well in that victory for them not to want to take a serious hard look. Like you said, there's 10 days before the next game. Uh, you know, you're not going to just keep staying in a losing cycle and not throw Baker in there. I actually think Baker is more ready to play than a lot of rookies that I've ever seen, but they have to be sure that he's not going to get killed. They've got a new left tackle. Uh, they've got some offensive line problems. They've got some protection issues, and they have to make sure that they get those uh, cleaned up before they throw Baker in there. Yeah, and once you make that switch, there's no turning back. You're not going to put him in there and then go back to Tarod right. two weeks later if he struggles. You, you know, you, like you said, you've got to be sure that the, the structure's around him and you've got to be sure that he's ready. Um, he's, he showed a lot in the preseason to show that he is ready. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know that there would be a big rush after this. And to me, w- with Tarod, it's simple win. You know, I think even in a scenario where the offense struggles on Thursday and defense wins the game for them, I still think it would be really hard to turn around after your first win since Christmas Eve 2016 and say, eh, we're going to change quarterbacks now. So I, I think with Tarad, just like everybody likes to bring up Kansas City and Alex Smith, well, why did Patrick Mahomes not play last year? Part of it is because that was the plan. Part of that is because you had a Pro Bowl quarterback and you were a Super Bowl contender. Yeah, and you're winning games. Yeah. So that that is the whole key. But I, I, I really do wonder if... Like like we said before, if they win, in spite of bad quarterback play, that's still a reason to reevaluate it after yeah, this game. Yeah, I think so. But I think generally they're probably looking at it, like we said before, in four-game increments, quarters of the season. And I think that um, that they will take a good hard look at it after the first quarter if they don't do it before that. Yeah, and, and even you know after that Oakland game, I'm playing the schedule game a lot today. They, <laughs> they have two home games after the Oakland game. So yeah. if they didn't want to kind of divide it into quarters, maybe that would be the time. Personally, you know, eventually we're going to see Baker at some yep. point. He's going to play. I'd like to cover some wins first, to be honest with you. 
You know, we're we're not cheering and we're not rooting, you know, because we're not really allowed to, but it would just be nice to cover some wins. It's what? been a long time. You know what? There are some rookies, though, like Deshaun Watson last year that come in before, yeah, they, before right. they wanted him to and start winning games and give the team a spark. If you've got a really good defense uh, that can get those takeaways and put you in good field position – that supports the quarterback as much as anything else. I've talked to other quarterbacks that have told me that. Their best friend is a really good defense. And not just a good defense, but a defense that gets takeaways for you and puts you in position to win games. Ten of the Browns' 39 points that they've scored so far this season came off of takeaways. They were spotted at the 1 and at the 18 for two of, <laughs> for two of um, no, actually two of their touchdowns came. Yeah. After the one, uh, uh, after Jabril's, Jabril recovered it at the one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And Carlos yeah, Hyde yeah, ran yeah. it yes, in against yes, Pittsburgh. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, it's been short fields. Yes, definitely. So, um, so yeah, I, I do think that Baker has a good enough supporting cast, at least from a defensive standpoint, that that I think he'll be okay. I think he'll be all right. And uh, the only issue would be, will he be protected enough? Because he doesn't have the speed even that a Tyrod Taylor does to get away from some of the trouble. Yeah. Um, and, it, well, you know, the other thing to consider, to kind of flip that on its head, speaking of winning, if they do look at this defense and they say this defense, here's that P word again, and they say this defense is good enough to get this team to the playoffs, mm-hmm. and they think that they just need enough out of this offense and Baker Mayfield brings it to them, yep. you've got to consider that because you don't always get opportunities like that. And if this defense can continue to play like they've played – you know, you, you've got to think about that, too. You can't throw away an opportunity. And if, like I said, if they sit down and look at this defense and say, we can get there with this defense if we just get a slightly better quarterback play. Yeah. You know, that that's something they have to consider, too. And I'm starting to, I'm really starting to think that Baker is going to come in and give them a tremendous spark on offense. I just have a feeling about it. Just watching him in training camp, I just feel like he's going to bring an unbelievable amount of energy. He's going to bring his exceptional arm talent. Now, again, we never really saw him against a first-team defense and working with the first-team offense. We don't know what that's going to look like yet. Um, and it, until the, the lights are on and the fur is flying, you don't know how that's going to go. But I, I don't know. There's just something about me that, that's starting to think he's going to provide that spark. Yeah. All right. So that will do it for our Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Here, I want to pull back the curtain just a little bit before we go. Mm-hmm. So the Josh Gordon news, uh, Saturday. Yep. Breaks at about 6 o'clock. Yep. Um, I'm going to meet people in downtown New Orleans mm-hmm. uh, in, in the French Quarter um, for dinner, uh, two other reporters, and all of a sudden the story breaks. So they got to run. I got to get an Uber, and I was not smart, and I stayed out in Medieri. But I met an Uber driver who was <laughs> who loved to tell me all about her problems. And first, she she didn't like how Uber was treating her. There were other things I don't want to get into her personal details. <laughs> Liked to, to tell me about her uh, her personal problems. Spent probably a twenty twenty five minute car ride hearing about that. I had to direct her to my hotel. Like I'm on my phone, literally giving her directions to my hotel. I don't know the area, but I had to direct her to my hotel. So later that night, after everything settles, I'll go out to the French Quarter. I get an Uber back to my hotel again because for some reason I stay 25 minutes away, and I get the same driver. <laughs> and she had come That's up with hilarious. new things. She had come up with new things to tell me about. <laughs> I get in the car, and for one of her complaints was that I was making her take me so far back to my hotel. 
Oh the yeah, first that's time. a that bad thing to do when you're an right? Uber driver. Have to make money. Yeah, and she. <laughs> well, this time though, she was excited to see me for okay. some reason. She remembered I, you. Yeah, she did. I get in and she said, "Oh, Dan, I had you earlier." And I'm like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I'm making you take me out to Mediary again." And she's like, "Oh no, no, it's fine." And she went on and on about something else, and then told me that I was a good listener. Well, you are a good listener. So there, there we go. Now, Dan, where was I when you guys and some of our other beat writer colleagues were heading out to dinner in the French Quarter that night? You, where were you? You were you were in your hotel. I was in my room. You were yeah anticipating. You were doing your job, unlike <laughs> us. Anticipating that there could be some Josh Gordon news, <laughs> and that perhaps maybe I should stick around in front of the computer well, and see if anything happened. Not all of us have that kind of foresight. I mean, you guys really needed some gumbo, didn't you? Yeah. Like, you just had to have it right Absolutely. then. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you're in New Orleans, you know, the spirit moves you, you got to get out to the French Quarter, you got to get out to Bourbon Street, you got to see what's going on. It was your first time there. It was my first time there. What did you yes. think? Um, I liked it. You yeah. know, we didn't get a chance to really experience it because of, again, the Josh Gordon stuff kind of delayed us a little bit, and um, so didn't get a chance to really, like, fully experience it, but um, it was cool. I yeah. enjoyed it a lot. It's it's different. It's uh. It's a lot of drunk people, a lot of beads <laughs> flying around. There were a lot of Browns fans, too. A lot of Browns fans, but, you know, there's good food, great restaurants, fun bars. I, I did end up meeting you guys out later. We all regrouped. Okay, everybody yep. went back to their rooms and wrote. Ended up going to the same restaurant. <laughs> yes, we ended up going to Mr. B's in New Orleans, a really great restaurant. We had a great dinner, and then we went out and, you know, enjoyed the this New Orleans scene a little bit. And I, I'm wondering, if it, is this the last night that Josh Gordon steals from us in our lives? Um. Yeah, I mean, I guess, but this is the NFL, and as we know, this is right. a twenty-four-seven league. Yeah, there have been um, plenty, plenty of uh, of missed family functions, uh, missed dinners, <laughs> sleepless nights, mom, mom proms, mom proms, you name it. So, uh, no, but truthfully, let's hope that that Josh Gordon, let's hope. Once and for all, that he can get sober, stay sober if he's not right now. Uh, I mean, get sober if he's not right now. Uh, get himself together, and that's the most important thing that that Josh Gordon, as a person, can get his life together. Yeah, abs- absolutely. I, I mean, you know, n- none of us are, are sitting here rooting for Josh. No, we we not joke at all. that we've had days and things right. and plans ruined, but that's. That's the business, right? I mean, that's the job with any player, no matter no matter what. So, right. um, thing, things happen: trades, yep. signings, suspensions, sometimes good things. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's just sort of uh, what we signed up for. Okay, so uh, that'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Again, thanks to Sibling Revelry Brewery, uh, based in Westlake. Mike and Bert uh, appreciate you guys uh, helping us out and sponsoring us. And uh, Mary Kay, you mentioned this after the post game. Uh, but I want to mention in here that we are going to try and do a live yep. podcast event at some time. So uh, keep uh, keep your ears peeled for that because we'd like to record one of these live in front of an audience and yep. take some questions and have some fun. And it'll be, it will be there at Sibling Revelry Brewery. That's right. where we're able to do it. So check them out, and you can find them in stores all over Ohio, including Heinen's and Giant Eagle. For Mary Kay Cabin, I'm Dan Lobby. Thanks for listening, everybody.